morning. How is everyone? You well? It's good to be back. Um, as you know, I was away for two weeks in Scotland. For those who don't know, away in, uh, for Christmas period with my family uh, and a new year as well. And I know that when I often stand at the front, I've told you some awkward stories of things that have happened when I've potentially been away on holiday. Um, and I thought I'd begin with another one for you from my time in Scotland. So it was New Year and we kind of stood outside in this beautiful hotel overlooking Edinburgh Castle with the fireworks going off. Everyone had been um, celebrating. Beautiful, the bagpipes lead us in to the New Year. An incredible experience. And, and during it, my brother and I got chatting to this drunk woman who was next to us. And, and we were like, we were so disappointed that we didn't sing O Flower of Scotland. It's one of our favorite songs as English people. We wanted that song on, on New Year. And we're like, we should, we should do it now. I don't know why we thought we should do it now, but we did. So we start singing this song. And midway through, my brother and I realized what, two things. One, we're singing in a Scottish accent, which is never particularly good. We're going, oh, flower of Scotland. And then we also realized that we only know one verse. So we keep singing, and this poor woman at the top of her voice, in quite a posh do, is singing on her own, of Flower of Scotland. I felt ridiculously guilty. So there's another awkward experience that links very clearly to the sermon. Because God still loves me despite my failures. So if you're joining us for the first time uh, this morning, we are in our vision series, exploring what is the vision that God has called us to as a church for the coming years. We've been in a kind of discernment process. Clive and I said when we first came that we wanted to discern the vision for a year, to, to really gather what is God saying to us, what is he doing amongst us, and what does he want us to do in our local community. And Clive last week spoke um, about following Jesus in all of our life. We're looking at this particular vision statement. So it's in our small groups, in our membership meetings, in conversations, and in emails you sent us, conversations we've had with you. We've kind of taken all of that and kind of tried to summarize it in this particular statement. Following Jesus in all of life, growing in love for God and others following Jesus in all of life, growing in love for God and for others. And Clive last week looked at what it meant to follow Jesus in all of our lives, not just um, in, in a church context, in a particularly Christian context, but in everything we do, that every part of our lives would be touched by the love of God, right? And then this morning, um, I'm looking at what it means then for us to be growing in love for God and for others. And I must admit that this week, I left preparation till Thursday for the sermon, um, and I was chatting to Clive on the phone, and he was like, <laughs> you're leaving it a bit late, aren't you, mate, to prep the sermon? And I was like, no. I said, Clive. I said, it's a message on love. Uh, how I should be able to preach that without any notes. I ate my words literally five minutes later. This has been one of the hardest messages. I know I say that quite a lot. It's the reality of it, I think. But, but it's been hard to prepare. And I think partially because um, even I know that as I say the word love now, you will have different meanings conjured up in your minds. Maybe it's quite positive. Maybe you've had negative loving experiences. But love is, is a word that has so many different meanings, right? It means so many different things in different contexts. This one word can mean so much to so many different people. So it's been hard to, to understand really what we're talking about when we're talking about growing in love for God and for others. So I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey that I kind of went through this week in exploring what that really means. But it's also been a difficult message, I think, because I'm so passionate about this. And it means a lot to me that as a church, we can gather what it means to be loving to God and loving to others. Because it's the center of our faith, right? To love Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love others as ourselves. I don't get everything about the Christian faith. I would happily admit that to you. 
I don't get everything about the things that I've learned in theology and the things I've learned in church. They don't all make sense to me. But love, I get. I understand that. At its core, at its root, the Christian faith is about love. The love of God has worked in our lives and worked out to others. So hopefully we can explore that a bit more this morning. But because the term is so broad, I want to ask this question at the start. What kind of love are we called to as followers of Jesus? What kind of love are we called to as followers of Jesus? So if you have your Bibles, we're looking at uh, Matthew 22, verse 34 to 41. You two have got this cheeky grin in your face. Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. And if you're new to the church, there's some pew Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along with us. And that's page 991. And the text says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Before we look, there's another passage to look at as well. Before we look at that, I just want to explain this one a little bit more because I think sometimes we forget or, or lose track of the radical nature of this particular text. So in Jewish theology, in Jewish law, they would hold to five books of, of law in particular, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of our Old Testament, the Torah. And in those books, they would glean that there are 613 different laws, 613 laws that they would then aim to follow in their lives, right? Then you've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the days would have their own traditions. And these traditions would then place other laws, a kind of hedge around the 613 laws that you have for the Jewish people to follow. And the aim of that was, for example, if the law is go 70 miles per hour in your car, hypothetically, let's pretend in first century Palestine they had cars, if you meant to go 70 miles per hour, the Pharisees and Sadducees would go, well, actually, no, go 50 miles per hour, then you're definitely not going to go over the speed limit. Make sure that you have at least a 20 mile per hour gap. So you had the 613 laws and then all these other laws and traditions that the Jewish people had to follow. I love the radical nature of Jesus' teaching. It's like if you could imagine they're all kind of there in front of him. He just walked into the middle of them, made a space, and went, here at the center, love God, love others. Boom, mic drop, and walked away. <laughs> you can imagine that moment, right? You've got all this other stuff. Brilliant. That is good. That is helpful. We're not saying do away with that. But that, that summed up in two. You'd have been like, you could have told us that at the start, Jesus. How can we've learned this now? That sums up everything. The 613 laws. All the other stuff is summed up in those two. And if you're not doing them, then nothing else makes sense. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Then there's 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12. And this has to be one of my favorite passages in the Bible. That's page 1,227. It says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And the last verse is verses 20 to 21. says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what do we learn from these texts? We learn that God is love, right? God is the, the source of of love. It's not that love is a kind of an add-on to God, a characteristic that he lives out. It's not like he's merciful and gracious, only he's also loving. He is loving, but he's loving because he is love. He is the very source of love in the first place. God is synonymous with love. If you look in a dictionary for God, the definition is love. If you look in a dictionary for love, the definition is God. The two are one. And we learn in these texts that, that God is not only love, but that he loves us. That still blows my mind. Like us, in all the mess we create, even in those moments when we most hate him, even those moments when we turn away from him, no matter what you've done this morning, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what the prospect of 2017 looks like for you. Maybe you come this morning and you are burdened with the weight of a past that you cannot get beyond. I don't know, but I know one truth that I can hold to and proclaim with absolute certainty is that God loves you. Whatever context you're in, God loves you. And he wants to transform our lives. I love that about Jesus. God is love. God loves us. And God shows us his love. How most beautifully in demonstrating it in Jesus on the cross. Jesus, who was, who was fully God, God himself, gave everything as a sacrifice for us. To, to rid the way of all the mess we make, of all the sin, this cancer that affects the whole world. To get rid of that, that we can have a genuine relationship with God. That's how God shows his love for us. Not in a fluffy way, not in a cute way, but in a messy, bloody, painful, tear-stricken, mocking way in which he gave everything for us. And because of this, because of this sacrifice, he then calls us to respond. And he calls us to respond in two ways. He calls us to respond in love for him, and he calls us to respond in love for others. I know you know this, but I'm putting it in the context of the message. And some of you might not know this this morning as well. He calls us to respond to love in him, genuine love, but then for his love to flow through our lives into the lives of others. I'm going to say boom, because I think it's appropriate there. Boom. Explaining it probably didn't help. The problem, I think, is that we have one word in the English language. The English language is pretty rubbish at times. We have one word, love, to describe a multitude of meanings. You can go to Tesco's on a Saturday night, you get a new DVD, and you get your chocolate, lint chocolate maybe, if you're a smart person. Why? Because you love chocolate and you love a good movie. You can go home to so maybe a loved one, someone that you actually love. Hopefully you've defined that relationship, otherwise that's a bit of an awkward conversation. Then maybe you go home to a family that you love. It's a different kind of relationship. A friend that you love. It's a different kind of relationship, but yet in English we have one word. But in Greek, which is the original language of, of the New Testament that we have, there's four different words for, for love. Now, only two of them actually appear in the Bible itself, but there are different, four, four different words of love they, they, they're dealing with. So let me work out those. So philio is, is, is the first one. 
which is a kind of friendship love, a love between friends. Then there's um, storge, which is a kind of love between family members, a family love, that affection you have for the people in your family. And then there's eros love, which is a, a sexual love. So these are beautiful and wonderful expressions of love. But yet, there's one more, and one that is most, most beautifully expressed in the passages that we've looked at this morning, and that love is agape love. Agape love is God's love. Agape love is undeserved love. It's, it's unconditional love. It's free love. It's not love that focuses on oneself. It's not love that is about me receiving a feeling and having feelings of love. It's about love that is entirely about the other, regardless of what the other has done. That is what agape love is. Such a beautiful form of love. And love that then filters in and, and changes and transforms all these other understandings we have of love. So I want to go back to that question I asked a minute ago. What kind, of, what kind of love are we called to as followers of Jesus? We're called to love that goes beyond the feeling. We're called to love that isn't about self, but about the others. We're called to agape love, God's love. And agape love is compassionate. Look at Jesus' life, the way he ministered to people. Um, regardless of what context they came from, whether they were rejected, and whether he would be seen as, um, whether his the expectation people had of him would have been tarnished in who he spent time with. He didn't care. He would still continue to show compassion. He would still continue to show love to the poor, to the vulnerable, to those on the margins of society. The most beautiful demonstration of compassion I've ever witnessed was um, at Morningside Baptist Church, again in in Scotland in a Christmas trip. And and Morningside Baptist Church is now Central Baptist Church in, um, in, in Edinburgh. And we're there for the midnight service and I remember, it's, it's a church that's probably about twice as big as Motley, so a, a massive building, um, beautiful, very traditional in a, in a sense, and it had lots of candles lit. It was a very um, reflective uh, midnight service. And then during all of this piece, this one guy, this drunk guy, absolutely hammered, comes walking down the middle, bum- mumbling to himself, singing songs, and he sits right at the front. And it's one of those moments where you can feel everyone quite tense, because we want to love but we don't have to respond to this, and what do we do? Because we're in this kind of formal setting, and everyone's kind of awkwardly waiting for the next move. Without flinching, a couple from the back get up, and as he's walking down the aisle, they walk behind him, as if it's like they've just walked in with him. They sit down right next to him, one on either side. And the reason they did that is because this guy had no sense of coordination whatsoever, and didn't really know what was going on. So, so during the non-speaky bits, like the quiet and reflection, he'd stand up and start singing. Or, or, or he'd start singing a song at one point, stand up, and then sit down. Every single time he stood up awkwardly, they would stand with him. Every single time they would, he was talking out loud, they would start talking to him. And it, sitting there watching it, as they took the looks, they didn't care about the awkwardness, they didn't care about what people thought, they wanted to make this guy feel comfortable in that environment. It was, abs- it was a beautiful demonstration of compassion. Agape love is compassionate. And agape love is, is sacrificial. One of the most beautiful things about the cross is that God demonstrates his love in, in, in sacrifice. In a willingness to, to give his one, his one and only son. Can you imagine that? Parents in the room sacrificing your one and only son for, or your one and only child for, for the sake of the world, for the sake of others. An incredible sacrifice. And in fact, for me, 
when thinking about sacrifice, the most beautiful example I find, I suppose, amongst us is often parents. I love, I'm I'm at that stage of age, maybe is the right way to put it, where um, all my friends seem to be pregnant. All my female friends seem seem to be pregnant. Let's qualify. I did that in the nine o'clock service as well. I thought I'd have learned. And, and it seems to be that stage for everyone. And what I still admire is, is seeing my mates who, um, I've seen them in the most stupid and weird moments, you know, and, and they're standing there, suddenly parents, holding these small ch- children in their arms. And you can see the love in their eyes in that instant. And even in that moment, you know, they would do absolutely anything for that child in their hands. And they've only just met them. And then seeing the love of parents for children, you guys would do anything for your children, right? Literally anything. We sacrifice yourselves for your very child. About five years ago, um, as during my graduation, my dad was in Afghanistan, and uh, he wasn't able to come for the graduation, obviously, because he was on he was on tour. And my mum and I were walking around the, the with my brother, walking around the university grounds, and I saw all my friends kind of standing in the corner, giggling and smiling to themselves, and it looked quite emotional. I was like. I didn't understand it, so I kept walking, and out of nowhere, my dad jumped out of the bush to surprise me for graduation. So you manage one of those moments, like on YouTube, where you see the kind of dads coming home and stuff like this. People were in tears and stuff like this. And, um, and I mean, he had made sacrifices to get there. I mean, he'd put his job on the line, to be honest with you. He'd pulled some strings in higher, I'm not even sure I'm allowed to mention it, to be honest with you. He looked at me, I said, how did you get over here? He went, we won't talk about that, Ross. Um, let's just say I pulled some strings. <laughs> And he was literally there in, in the clothes he had on his back. That, that army outfit, that was all he had. That's all he had for the day he was there. He, he flew back the following day to, to go back to Afghanistan. He wanted to be there for my graduation because he loved me. That was the sacrifice he was willing to make. Agape love is sacrificial. And agape love is, is undeserved. It's about you, but... Um, you think of the sacrifice God made for us, and, and we, are, we are so undeserving, right? And yet he, he was willing to do that for us. And, and I love that Jesus, when he's on this earth, in that same manner, he calls us to love our enemies. That is such a radical teaching. You'd be like, uh, no, I don't love, I think you've got this the wrong way around, Jesus. You don't love enemies, you beat on enemies. You love them, and I love your enemies. Well, you do it then. And at the cross, he forgives the very people that are crucifying him. There's a film called um, To End All Wars. Has anyone seen it? No, that was the same in 9 o'clock as well. Uh, have you heard, read, read the book Miracle on the River Kwai? Yeah? Some of you are familiar with that book, right? So, so it's a film based on, on, on that book, a kind of modern uh, telling. It's a true story uh, by a guy called Gordon, Gordon Ernest. And Gordon Ernest was a Christian, a um, Scottish soldier in the, in, the, in, the, in the army around the Second World War. And, and, and at about the last three and a half years of the Second World War, um, he found himself in a prisoner of war camp in Japan where they had lots of British and American troops. And, and during this period in, in, in Japan, they were treated horrifically, as you'd imagine, in a prisoner of war camp. So, but they began to bond together, and they kind of created this community. And, and they, they learned of the teachings of Jesus as part of it. And they started to love and forgive the Japanese soldiers that were captivating them. And suddenly, as a consequence of that, this community started to grow. They, they had a university in their actual, in their, in their POW camp. They had a university, they had sports, they had drama, they had music. They started to create this whole world within this particular camp. 
And there's one moment in the film where um, the British have, have dropped airstrikes across all the POW camps around Japan. And it's caused absolute chaos. It's killed Japanese soldiers, but it's also killed uh, British and American POWs that are there at the time. So they've all, all, Gordon and all his friends have witnessed their friends die and are kind of gathered in, in the, the, the debris of the whole camp being destroyed in this one corner of the camp. And as they do this, this truck appears in the kind of beautiful scenes of Japan, green trees and, and kind of ready orangey ground. This truck rolls in. In the back of the truck are a bunch of Japanese soldiers. Japanese soldiers from one of the other camps that have been hit by these particular airstrikes. They're bleeding, they're bloody, they're losing, they've lost limbs, they're really injured and wounded. And as they come round in the truck, the Japanese soldiers obviously come up first to inspect what's going on. They're kind of American and British POWs standing to the right. And the soldiers, Japanese soldiers refuse to help their own comrades. In fact, they prevent anyone else. The commanders prevent any of the other Japanese soldiers helping. Why? Because they follow what is called the Bushido Code, which is an, a kind of honor and shame culture. You've brought shame, therefore we don't want anything to deal, do with you. You know that kind of samurai culture, whereas if you've lost in battle, the way to, to deal with it is to, to kill yourself through stabbing yourself with a samurai sword in, in, in the stomach, right? That would be the kind of understanding of the Bushido Code. So these Japanese soldiers have essentially, in their mind, brought shame upon their camp, and therefore they want nothing to do with them. Gordon, sitting with the other British soldiers, British prisoners, steps out from the ranks, goes against his commanding officer, and walks forward. He undoes the back of the truck. He takes out these Japanese soldiers, and he begins to wash their wounds. Slowly, one by one, all the troops, all the prisoners follow. And they take these Japanese soldiers out, and in front of their own comrades wash their wounds and clean them. They're very enemies, the people that have captured them for such a, a long period of time. Agape love is undeserved, but so beautiful, right? And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, it's a pretty tall order though. I realize that, calling us to love in this way. Agape love is arguably the most beautiful form of love, but at the same time, that's one of the most difficult. I suppose in all of that, the beauty of the statement that we, we, we're trying to get across as part of the vision of the church is that it is about growing in love for God and for others. We are under no illusions that as a consequence of this sermon, tomorrow everyone's going to wake up and you're going to be the most loving people you've ever met in your entire life. Given a chance for compassion, you'll jump straight on it. Given a chance to sacrifice, you will do it straight away. Given a chance to love your enemy, get out my way. I want to love that guy. We're not, <laughs> we're not unaware that's not actually going to be, be the case. But we're on a journey with God, right? And we are committed to, as a church, that the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we work on our relationship with God through Bible study, through, through prayer, through coming before God together as a, as a community, the more we grow in that relationship with God and respond to his love, the more we experience his agape love. That can overflow from our lives into the lives of others. That we can truly be people who love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and love others as ourselves. I don't know about you, but I am, I am sick of hearing in, in, in the media of, of the way we are so often defined as Christians. It's, it's frustrating and saddening, not least because I see so much of the love many of you show in, 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 within the church, outside in your local context. But so often, often the portrayal is, is, is intolerant, judgmental, anti-gay. But we've been known for being loving. How do you define your mate at the work, a, Christ, uh, a Christian? Oh, hey, guy's so loving. 
oh yeah, she's just, she's so loving. I don't know what it is, but she does something that just is beautiful. Motley Baptist Church, we people who follow Jesus in all of our areas of our lives, loving God and others, growing in love for God and for others. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, um, I think we're aware that, that, that all of this, all of this begins with, with, with your love first. You are the source of love. So, so I pray that as, as each and every one of us go out this week to the business of life, to the chaos maybe of life, we pray that this week that we will grow closer to you, that we will experience your love in ways we've never experienced before. And in experiencing your love, we will be pushed, driven, excited to spread that love to others. In Jesus' name.